Hey, welcome to church, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege to welcome you to worship today. If this is one of your first times joining us, we want to express a very special welcome to you. And if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can communicate with us by taking one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you and fill that out and let us know that you're here. And you can stop by the Welcome Center afterwards if you have some free time. We have a free gift just for joining us this morning. For those of you joining us online, you can go to our website. We ask you to, we beg you to, and visit us at vlchurch.com. That's our website. There's a banner that's just for you that says, are you new here? Click on that banner and complete the form that pops up. And when you complete that, I'll connect with you sometime here in the next few days. But, but indeed, thank you for joining us as well. I have a few announcements for you this morning. The first of which is that we're starting up children's intensives this week. Uh, we've been doing these over the last few years, and they have been a big hit for all of our children. Uh, these six-week children's intensives uh, will uh, cover a wide range of children, all the way from pre-K, so age zero, so to speak, all the way through sixth grade. You can see on the screen there all of the different classes that we will have. Pre-K will focus on godly attributes. Uh, grades one through three will be people of the Bible, six people of the Bible, and they'll be doing a Bible timeline as well. And grades four through six will be talking about their identity in Christ. Uh, they will also be, kids will also be doing skills classes, and these skills classes will be from grades one through six. They'll be learning knitting, how to cook, drama, and woodworking. Pretty cool stuff. And so if you would like to get your child signed up or someone in your neighborhood who's a child to get signed up, you can do that on our Church Center app. And you can do that in the, with the comfort of your own smartphone. But if you don't have a smartphone, you don't have that kind of technology, call us on the church phone and we'll get your uh, children signed up for the intensives that are coming up that are starting this Wednesday. Also, I want to make mention of the fact we've been pumping life groups for the last uh, four or five weeks but we do have life groups that align their schedule with the children's intensives. And three of those life groups are actually starting this, this Wednesday um, aligned with the schedule of the intensives. May I mention these life groups to you? There are two women's life groups, the first of which is entitled The Aspects of Divine Grace with Janice Hilbish. Shameless plug, Janice is an author on the topic of God's grace. And so... That's going to be a great one. Another women's class is entitled Walking by Faith with Steph Corey. And then there's another class for both men and women with Will and Rochelle Hodge entitled Adulting, Learning How to Live with a Biblical Worldview. And so if you haven't gotten signed up for a life group and you're kind of thinking about it, you're on the fence, sign up for one of these. They're going to be great. You can get signed up on our website or you can call the church office as well to do that also. Last but not least, I want to make mention of the fact that we are going to have a baptism service on Sunday, November 12th. And so if you've been prompted or nudged or moved to take that next step in your faith uh, with the Lord Jesus, we encourage you to get signed up. You know, in, the, in Acts chapter 8, there is a story about a guy who was nudged, who was moved after he was reading God's word. And a guy by the name of Philip showed up. He explained the scriptures and the Bible tells us there in Acts chapter 8 that this guy was baptized immediately. And so we want to encourage you to take immediate action. If you feel moved, if you feel nudged by the Spirit of God to take that next step in your faith, get signed up to get baptized. It's going to happen, like I said, on Sunday, November 12th. And if you get signed up, 
We will communicate with you about some of the details that go on beforehand, but indeed we're looking forward to that on Sunday, November 12th. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of announcements. If you've come to worship the Lord Jesus by giving your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. You can give online, you can give via text, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord uh, with your tithes and offerings today. Can I ask you to stand this morning, and as you do so, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father God, we have come to this place to declare what Nehemiah said in your word. He said, blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. So, God, our hearts is that you would be exalted today as we worship you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together. Can you put your hands together? We're here to bring praise to the King of Kings.
place today. Hallelujah. We have a reason to praise today. Because he gave his son for us, he allowed his son to be crucified for us. How can we do anything but praise? Only in Jesus do we have salvation. Only in Jesus do we have rescue from death. And that's exactly what we're going to sing about in this next song. It is the gospel. It's the reason we have to praise. So I encourage you, with every word that we sing in this next song, turn on your mind, engage with it, because when you do, you'll realize all the faithfulness of God, all the good reasons to praise. Him alone can rescue, and Him alone He can save. shame was deeper than the sea, but your grace is deeper still. Let's sing that again.
Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. There is only life in him. There is only hope in him. We thank you, Father, because we have nothing without you sending Jesus to bridge the gap between you and us. We have absolutely nothing. We have no reason to praise. But because you did send Jesus, and he did bear the cross, to you alone belongs our highest praise because through his cross is salvation. Through his cross, and resurrection is hope for our life eternal. That's the reason we came. That's the reason we praise. And so if you can do that for us in this life, you can give us hope for eternal life, then you can do so much more in this life than we can even imagine. So this morning, Lord, we're going to continue to call on the name of Jesus. Invite your presence into this place so that we can be moved by you, filled by you, healed by you, changed by you, blessed by you, find our joy in you. We'll continue to call on your name, Lord, for those things and believe in faith that when you show up, they will come to fruition. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak. starts to break till every there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus cause your name is power your name is healing your name is life break Every stronghold shine through the shadows of the light of life. And I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Jesus. 
Shout Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the streets and Jesus in the darkness over every enemy and Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, and Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus.
Let's sing that one more time. Your name is power. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is love. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a John the Baptist said to the people coming out to him, I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is coming, whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie, he will come and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Baptist promised a Lord and Savior who would come with power, not merely with words. The Gospel of Luke records that people said of him, he speaks as one with authority, not like our scribes and our Pharisees. And the Lord Jesus demonstrated his power by many signs and miracles and wonders. That same Jesus wants to be in our midst today. Baptizing us in the Holy Spirit and with fire. With his life-changing, life-altering presence. So Lord Jesus, as we pray today, we ask that of you. Would you baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire? Would you demonstrate your life-changing power in and among us? For we confess today it is easier for us as American Christians, to want to be washed in the water of the Word. But the Holy Spirit and fire, those scare us. But Lord, this world needs a powerful, life-changing Jesus. And this world will respond to a powerful, life-changing Jesus through the people of Jesus. And so, Lord, be who you say you are in and among us. Allow us to leave our pride and our preferences far behind and say, Lord Jesus, demonstrate your life-changing power in and among us, we pray. And may we never settle for anything less. We pray these things earnestly in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, welcome once more to Victory Life Church this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I get to share the word with you this morning. But before I do that, I'm going to release our young disciples to head on down the hall and hope that so many of you will be a part of our intensives this coming Wednesday. A word to the light shiners among you. I know a lot of you spent the last year really, really focused 
on making sure that you were leading what we would call an evangelistic lifestyle. You really began to intentionally build relationships with people who are not yet Christian. And I would tell you, if you have children in your neighborhood that have connected to your children, or maybe you don't even have children in your neighborhood, but you have a very strong relationship with your neighbors or your coworkers, these intensives are a wonderful way to get kids into church. Uh, we have uh, uh, somebody coming to, to teach uh, baking and cooking from the Western Reserve School of Cooking. We have woodworkers here that are going to do a great job with carpentry, people who are trained in drama, people who know how to knit. But you saw those beautiful things that the children will be learning, all about the characters of the Bible and having and being a person of character, identity in Christ. These are powerful, powerful moments in the lives of our children. So get registered with your kids if you have not yet done that. But think about, is there anybody in my neighborhood or in my workplace among my, my coworkers who have kids that would love to be a part of this, register them too. Have those conversations. I know for some of you that would mean maybe you have to drive two cars to church on Wednesday night. That would be the worst, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that just be the worst thing that ever happened, that you and your spouse would have to drive separate so that more people could come to church? I can't imagine anything more sacrificial. I'm being sarcastic if you haven't picked up on that. So we just encourage you. Uh, think about those intensives as a great way to shine your light and invite some of those kids you've made uh, relationships with to church. Uh, also, I think we saw on the screen that they're only going till 7.15. If that's the case, we're in deep trouble. And so uh, it's going to be 6.30 to 8.15, just to be uh, clear on that. And so uh, and <laughs> I'll be told directly after leaving the stage that that time is wrong, too. So anyhow, uh, <laughs> don't quote us on anything Whatever is on Planning Center is the correct time. That's what we'll go with. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 11, and I'd like you to put a bookmark in it, and then I'm going to have you turn back to Matthew chapter 1. We're starting a new mini-series. Everything that we're doing this year is mini-series as we talk about the hallmarks of a fully formed disciple. We've identified 15 things that we think as a staff and elders are indicative of what makes a fully formed disciple. We're going to talk about another one of those hallmarks over the next three weeks. And so I wanted to go to the book of Matthew, and, and I wanted to stay with the same author, but see two different things this morning. And so we're going to be in Matthew 1, and then we're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 11. A couple of years ago, my oldest daughter started middle school, and I discovered on the very first day of school that she goes to school on a road where there are two middle schools and two high schools all on the same road. And it's a two-lane road. Which means every single morning I enter the seventh circle of hell trying to get my daughter to school. You see, because on a normal day to take my daughter from my house to where her school is, it's an 11-minute drive. 11 minutes. Start to finish. But during school hours, it becomes a 30 to 40-minute drive if I don't leave at the right time. So we left super early the first day of middle school and we got to school on time, no sweat. But I didn't want to accept that super early was the right pattern of life for us. Because I often said years ago, I went to school for seven years after high school so I didn't have to get up early. And then I had children. And so I didn't want to get up that early, I didn't want to do that, and so, so I said, you know what, sweetie, let's, let's just go a little bit later. We made it there in plenty of time, we'll just go a little bit later. No big deal, we'll leave ten minutes later, and that ten minutes is going to get me all the sleep that I need. And so we started leaving ten minutes later, and that's when we realized there was a deep, deep problem. Because by leaving ten minutes later, that second, seventh circle of vortex of whatever, 
was happening and that 30 to 40 minute drive was happening and, 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 and we were not getting to school on time and we were rushing and we were stressing and we were in gridlock. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to beat the system. I'm going to find a different way to make it in that, that none of these people have ever tried so that I can sleep for an extra 10 minutes. And every morning I'd come down 10 minutes later and my wife would say something to this effect, you're going to regret sleeping in. But I was going to break the pattern. I was going to find a new way to hit one of these access points that nobody had ever discovered before. I was going to get there in 11 minutes, regardless of all these other people that couldn't accomplish something so awesome. But time and time again, whether I came from the north, or whether I came from the south, or whether I came from the west, there was no hope for me. The only way to break the pattern was to wake up 10 minutes earlier leave 10 minutes earlier, get my coffee 10 minutes earlier. And I discovered the only way to have peace and rest was to accept that there is a way to beat the system. It just wasn't the way that I had planned. As evangelicals, and that's what we are, we're an evangelical church, uh, we have a lot of convictions. You can look it up on Wikipedia sometime, what evangelical really mean, but it's kind of what links a lot of different denominations and churches Evangelicals have a really high regard for scripture, which means if we don't talk through the scriptures and explain them on a Sunday morning, we're probably not in an evangelical church. Uh, evangelicals really want to make sure that we're focused on converting people to Christianity. Evangelical comes from the root words for gospel, so we're always very focused about shining our light out into the world, so that's part about being evangelical. And, and historically, evangelicals have had a, a phrase that is straight from the book of John, uh, chapter 3, that we like to bandy about, and we ask people this question, have you been born again? That's a very evangelical thing to say. A lot of the mainline churches and denominations, that's not even like a, a for or a thought. It's not even something on their minds. Have you been born again? And what we mean by that as evangelicals is, is do you have a personal, life-changing relationship with Jesus. It's a loaded phrase. Have you been born again? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Maybe you've heard this phrase over and over and over again in churches that you've attended. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And the reason that evangelicals are focused in this realm is we recognize that there are folks in churches today that only relate to God through their church and through the trappings and traditions of their particular church, but they never have this born-again experience by which they are really in true and meaningful relationship with the Son of God. You may be one of those people sitting here today. You would say, I like Victory Life, I like your sermons, I like the music, I like the things that you provide, but I don't know that I could say today that I feel like I'm in a, a relationship with Jesus Maybe that's just something that the really spiritual people have, but I think I'm just fine right where I'm at. Or maybe you're in this place today and you'd say, well, I have a relationship with God, but to say I have a relationship with Jesus, that feels somewhat judgy and exclusive. After all, can't people all over the world who don't know Christ have a relationship with God? And so you're struggling not with the relationship part, you're struggling with the Jesus part. But I, I want to ask the question over the next couple of weeks, is relationship with Jesus something that the Bible clearly teaches? 
as of utmost importance. Is you and I having a real feeling of connection to the Lord and Savior of humanity, is that really something that the Bible portrays? Or is it just something that evangelicals have grabbed a hold of to differentiate ourselves from mainline churches? Well, I want to try to answer those questions in the next couple of weeks because I think they are of utmost importance. Either Christians need to have a born-again experience by which they come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, or they don't. Either evangelicals are all wet, or they've got it just right. Which is it? Either way, it's one of the things that differentiates so many churches from others. And I want to ask ourselves the questions, do we truly need a relationship with Jesus? Or is just identifying with Christ through the trappings and traditions of our church enough? Well, let's dive into this question. For those of you who would say, I have a relationship with Jesus, I think it would be important for us to dive into this question because if you're a disciple maker, you're wanting to help other people come into that relationship. For those of you who would say, no, I, I have more of a, a traditional religious mindset. I, I like the trappings and traditions of my church. This church is a little bit forward-thinking from maybe the church I came from, but, but I, I, I like what you're doing, and that's how I relate to God. Maybe there's a next logical step for you. And for those of you who may feel like a relationship with Jesus, that feels judgy. I'm a spiritual person. I have a relationship with God, but I, I don't want to tie myself to any one religious wagon Perhaps you will be encouraged to yoke up with Jesus and tie into his wagon. We'll just have to see. Are you in Matthew chapter 1? We're going to go back to an infancy narrative, and it's not even Advent. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, describes the angel coming to Joseph and saying, Joseph, your, your uh, betrothed, your fiancé, is pregnant. And she has a baby in her that has been placed there by the Holy Spirit. And that baby is going to be the Savior of humanity. Let's look at this story in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and following. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the initial story of why Jesus came. The angel is explaining to Joseph why Jesus. Why am I about to put you and Mary through the experience of a lifetime? Or for many lifetimes. Why is this all happening? Why was Jesus sent? Now folks, we're going to return to this passage on December 10th. I promise you that. Our series is already laid out and we'll have little children up here playing Mary and Joseph in the Angel Gabriel. It'll be delightful. We'll be back to the human implications of this particular story and how it would have affected Mary and Joseph and, and their faith. But today I just want to focus on the theology for a moment. Because there's great big theologies embedded in two names, are there not? 
the angel comes to Joseph, and in essence saying, the Savior of the world has come, you shall call him Jesus, which in the, in the Hebrew language means Yahweh saves. Now, I can't say this enough because there's some confusion around this. Yahweh is the proper name of our God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, his name is Yahweh. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Moses is being uh, commissioned to go set the slaves in Egypt free, he's speaking to his God and saying, what should I tell the people back in Egypt, my Hebrew brothers and sisters, what should I tell them your name is? And he says, my name is Yahweh, which means I am that I am. I am existence itself. I'm the one that's been in the back of your mind since the day you were born. When you looked up at the sky and you thought, who made all this? That's me. I am not, I'm going to use a big term, coterminous with the earth. My name is not after a tree or a plant or an animal or a river or an ocean. I'm above and behind all that. I'm in front of all that as well. I am that I am. I am he, existence himself. Well, the angel says to Joseph, this little baby is Yahweh saves. That's who, that's who Jesus is. He is the creator's intent to save humanity. And then he goes on to describe a name, a secondary name, that, that this baby will be known by because this secondary name is the mechanism by which he's going to do the saving. And what's the secondary name? Emmanuel, which once again in the Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament, means God with us. So we're being given great theology by the angel here in this dream to Joseph, because the angel says to Joseph, in essence, God will save us by being with us. That's the plan. That's how God's going to do it. He's going to save us by being with us. If we're going to understand who Jesus is and how Jesus is going to save us, we start right there. The Son of God, eternal, uncreated, is going to come to this earth incarnate, in flesh, in order to walk with us, talk with us, live with us, breathe with us, eat with us, suffer with us, endure with us, understand what becoming one of us is like, and cure what ails us by becoming like us. Jesus is going to save by being with us as one of us. The only way to save humanity is to become part of humanity. And of course, we sang the gospel this morning in that second song. He's going to save us by being with us, reorienting us, reteaching us, and ultimately redeeming us by becoming the sacrifice for our sins. And this is what the angel conveys to Joseph. He will save us by being with us, and what you need saving from is sin is sin now for those of you who are not yet christians you're like i knew we were going to get here i'm in a church and they're talking about sin for those of you who have been a christian for a while you're like yeah that seems to be all we ever talk about in church is sin well that's not all we ever talk about but it is the main problem that ails humanity 
But the problem that we have with sin, especially in America, is that evangelicalism has also in some ways been tied to what's known as fundamentalism. And fundamentalism has a way of defining all sin by the things that you ought not do. And therefore, you don't gamble, you don't smoke, women don't wear pants, you don't go to dances, because that can lead to all types of sinful behavior, you don't go to movies, and, and we begin to equate sin with the things that the, that the world finds pleasurable that we as Christians need to be austere and removed from. And that's, that's kind of some of our socio-political background as Christians. In the early 1900s, there was, a, there was a bit of a falling away from normal Christian norms, and evangelicalism kind of rose through the ranks of Christianity with some hardcore fundamentalism, which says, if the world takes pleasure in it, you ought not. And therefore, we preached it that way for about 100 years, as American Christians, and said, you know, sin is those things that you ought to refrain from that the world finds pleasurable. And folks, before I go any further, there is a lot we ought to refrain from that the world finds pleasurable. All right, I'm not mocking this, I'm just saying it doesn't encapsulate the whole problem. To just say that, you know, that, 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 that certain behaviors are sin it, it's not what the Bible is necessarily t- Yes, there are certain behaviors that are sin, but there's also certain things that we ought to do that we just don't, and that's sin as well. And, and to go one step further, the Bible describes sin as, as an ingrained problem of this age. Sin is the, is the age in which we live. It's the fallenness of this world and its universe. It, it is a Big, 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 big problem. Not just the things that pastors tell you not to do. It's something that's, that's deeply ingrained in each and every one of us, and then it is that pattern, it is that deeply ingrained fallenness that Jesus comes to save us from. Ultimately, you and I know that this world has a sin problem. All you need to do is watch the news read the news, hop on social media for four seconds, and you know that there are messed up people doing messed up things all over the earth. And while seeing messed up people doing messed up things all over the earth, each one of us on some level is saying, thank God I'm not as messed up as them. Thank God I'm a better person than those that I judge. Oftentimes ignoring our own need for a savior. Saying the world is messed up, but oftentimes not willing to admit that we ourselves are messed up. So to recap, the Bible doesn't merely talk about sin as individuals doing bad, but it it, it often talks about sin as an entire age that is marred by it. And the Old Old Testament is, is perfect proof of this. We learn in 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 13, that we are supposed to look back on the Old Testament and learn our lesson. And the lesson is this. God can set a people up for a hope and a future with every blessing and benefit of God, and sin can still mar their existence. The Old Testament is proof positive that God can give you every benefit and blessing that you could ever ask for, 
And we can still mess it up because we're marred by sin. We have 39 books to make us completely aware that it doesn't matter if it's a judge, a king, a priest, or a prophet. Nobody can lead us out of this pattern unless God comes in his flesh. Unless God saves in person to break this pattern, this complex, deeply embedded issue of sin. Not only deep inside our consciousness is this problem of sin, but deep inside our consciousness is also our need of a Savior. Aren't the best books you've ever read about a Savior? Someone who's going to come and make things right, make all things new, fix all the problems. Just as much as the older we get, the more broken we know that the world is. The older we get, the more we would love if somebody could just come and make it all right. Deeply embedded in who we are is this sin and savior complex. Let me demonstrate that to you in the next five minutes. We know things aren't right. We as human beings are constantly in search of justice, even while we're consistently in the wrong. This is the human condition. As children, we're born ready to bite, scratch, kick, scream, and injure to get our own way. Our first sinful world is mine. And the first people we love are the ones that give us what we want. Our initial playmates are merely competition for what we want. And while we're abiding, scratching, kicking, screaming, and injuring them, we're pretty certain they're the sinners and we're not. It's at this stage that good mommies and daddies go, no, don't do that. We don't bite, we don't scream, we don't kick, we don't injure, we don't steal. The kids are like, okay. I shall continue at my convenience, and while you're not watching, we are born little tyrants. And unless someone comes along and tells us to stop being little tyrants, we stay that. But isn't it interesting that in the midst of being little tyrants, we're still looking for people to be our savior? We punch somebody else and steal a rattle and then look at them as if they have sinned against us. And look at our parents as if, didn't you know I needed this rattle? We're looking for someone to save us. The older we get, the the more time we spend around other children, we begin to experience real injustice because their little tyrants are everywhere. And as we grow into more conscious beings, we are told no enough that maybe we stop, hopefully we stop biting, scratching, kicking, screaming, tantruming to get our own way. Now we learn two new tools. They're called manipulation and lying. That's going to help us get our own way. But many times... Children go down the hall to children's church at this stage, or maybe mom and dad or older brother or sister have a conversation and say, you know what, that's sin, that's selfishness, and there's someone who's come to save you from that pattern right now. You can spend your life loving the Lord and loving others as the Bible describes. You need to give your life to Jesus. And oftentimes, kids are not yet jaded enough. Well, they'll say, well, I'm not a sinner. What will they say? Oh, oh, I need to be saved. Kids are great because they are conscious of their sin. I had one of my kids look up at me with tears in his eyes one time and say, I don't want to be a bad boy, (laughs) right? Because because it's in there, right? It's in there. We're being taught what is right, and sometimes we just need somebody to break the pattern. And so we hope we get kids at a young age, because the older they get, the more hurt they're going to get and the more hurting they're going to do. I'm convinced that the gates of hell will look just like the entrance to a middle school. (laughs) Because that is where... (laughs) 
we begin to realize just how messed up people are and how mean and catty and horrible they can be to the middle school teachers. The middle school teachers are like, you know it. So anyhow, oftentimes justice seems the most elusive thing in the world, doesn't it? You know people ought not treat you that way, but nobody comes to fix it. Sometimes at this stage, somebody goes in search for a savior, one that can heal the wounds. But if not, they begin to search for a savior in terms of a new identity. Oh, for the simple days when I was in middle school where your identity was jock, burnout, nerd, goth, or punk. Those were the easy days, right? But we seek a new identity to get saved rather than the one that can save us. Oftentimes in our late teens and our our early 20s, we begin to see how broken the world is. We witness poverty maybe for the first time. We see starvation that need not happen, violence that need not happen. And we think, well, maybe we can help in the saving. Maybe we seek out a savior in philosophy or ideology, politics, or, or professors. If we've been raised right, we've stopped biting and screaming and tantruming. Hopefully lying and manipulation are, are going their way. We, we grab onto an ideology that says we know how this world can get saved. And maybe we participate in trying to save it, but we get further and further away from seeking justice externally, wanting someone to make it right. Somewhere in our late teens, maybe our early 30s, we begin to get what we want the right way, the American way, by making enough money to get what we want without having to hurt people for it. And we think that this is moral. We don't have to take from anybody to get what we want. We will just make enough money to get what we want. We no longer have to look at mommy, daddy, teacher, professor to give us what we want. We'll be our own savior. And once money becomes the savior, it's really hard to break the pattern. All along the way, we, we see aspects of why money's never going to do it. As the great poet Notorious B.I.G. once wrote, Mo money, mo problems. But somehow, even though we know that money's not going to fix our health or our relationships or even make us happy, it's getting enough and keeping enough somehow becomes the ultimate focus of our lives. And our retirement goal is the only goal left to us. And finally, as we reach the twilight of our lives, maybe then and only then we begin to ask, what was this all for? Many people had been ignoring the idea that they need to be saved or need to be held accountable and diving deeper and deeper into self-justifying mechanisms all their life. The pattern of their life is Frank Sinatra's song, My Way. You get to the end, and whether it was good or whether it was bad, you just say to yourself, well, at least I did what I wanted. But the closer we get to eternity, we begin to ask ourselves, what was all that? The great psychologist Eric Erickson called this ego integrity versus ego despair. Did my life make any difference? Was what I focused on even worth it? Maybe at this point we get a little more generous or volunteer a few more hours of our time. And we still tell ourselves we are good people because at least I'm not as bad as the political party that I hate. And sometimes then and only then do people search for a savior, recognizing that maybe their life wasn't what it ought to have been. Humans need saving. 
Sin is the problem. And the angel says to Joseph, somebody is going to come to break that pattern. To break it. And to make all things new. What if God would send one who would not fall to sin? Who could break the deadly pattern of the ages? That's what the angel is offering. And we know that the Son of God came not to judge, not to subject people to his rule, but he came to offer life-saving, sin-destroying, justice-seeking, righteousness-breathing relationship with him. This is God with us. The only question that remains, is that what Jesus is truly offering? Does Jesus really offer us relationship or just kind of a collective God with us? Well, let me take you to three more verses, four more verses of Scripture today and make sure we know that this is actually what Jesus is offering. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, please. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says some of the most poignant words of Scripture. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus calling all people into relationship with him. You don't see it in the English, but it's clear in the original language of the New Testament Greek that Jesus literally says, come here, come here. Emphatically, come here. Come here to me. Can you just picture that that weeping toddler needing a savior? Come here. Come here to me, says Jesus. And I'll give you rest. But Jesus is weird. And I mean that in the most reverent way possible. Because he uses this beautiful relationship to talk about yoking up with him. A yoke is a collar around your neck by which you pull a burden. And he says, hey, come to me, all all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest and then put on a new collar and, and I'll teach you the way you should go and you'll find out that I'm gentle and I'm humble and you'll find rest for your souls if you do the work that I have to give you. That's what relationship with me looks like, but it's good, it's gonna be restful, it's gonna be what you need, it's gonna break this pattern For all of you who are weary and heavy laden, do you want to have the pattern broken, says Jesus? Do you want to yoke up with me? Now, the reason I call Jesus weird is because he's not really weird. In fact, Jesus is actually very timely with this word. You see, there was a very famous author at the time of Jesus. He predated Jesus by about 200 years. In fact, his name was Jesus, too. Jesus wasn't the first Jesus, and so you don't need to worry when people name their son Jesus. Jesus had a predecessor, not as a savior, but kind of as a philosopher, named Jesus ben Sirach. How's this for going into the depths 28 minutes into my sermon? Jesus ben Sirach, he wrote a book that maybe you've seen in a Catholic Bible. It's in the Apocrypha. It's not inspired scripture. Sometimes it's called Ecclesiasticus, or ben Sirach, or ben Sirach, or just Sirach. And it was a book of wisdom that was highly popular at the time that Jesus spoke these words. 
Now, would you allow me for just a minute, and there's a reason I want to do this, to read from you something that's not Holy Scripture, but was being circulated and promulgated in the days of Jesus to see why Jesus would use such language when describing relationship with him. So just a few verses out of Ben Sirach, or Ecclesiasticus today, it's in chapter 6 of that particular book, verses 22 through 28. Once again, not Holy Scripture, just a very popular book at the time of Jesus. Speaking of wisdom, Ben Sirach wrote, For wisdom is like her name, she's not readily perceived by many. Listen, my child, and accept my judgment. Do not reject my counsel. Put your feet into wisdom's fetters and your neck into her collar. Bend your shoulders and carry her and do not fret under her bonds. Come to her with all your soul and keep her ways with all your might. Search out and seek and she will become known to you. And when you get a hold of her, do not let her go for at last you will find the rest that she gives. Jesus knew that Many, if not all the folks in his audience had heard from their pastors and preachers, the Pharisees and the scribes, the teaching of Ben Sirach. That, that the only thing you need to yoke up to in this life is the right philosophy, the right lifestyle, the right way of living. If you can just do the right philosophy, the right lifestyle, the right way of living, you shall find rest for your soul. And Jesus says to that audience who had been taught that, no! Rest for your souls comes by me. Relationship to me. Not wisdom, not an ideology, not an austere way of life. Relationship with me. Wisdom will not be your teacher. I will be your teacher. And you will find that I am gentle and lowly in heart, meaning I'm not going to hit you like a freight train. I'm going to hit you with grace and mercy and love and peace. You are going to love the new lease on life that I give you and the new mission in life that I have for you. Come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He was responding to Ben Sirach in that day, but he's responding to us in our time. No wisdom, no ideology, no do-goodism, no money, no academics, no human learning is what your soul longs for. Your soul longs for relationship with your creator, the one who loved you first, most, and best, and it is he who will give you rest for your souls if you'll come into relationship with him. This way is better, says Jesus. This way breaks the pattern of the ages. This way allows you to overcome a life of sin both the sins done by you and the sins done to you. So come here. Come here. It's me you've been waiting for. It's me. I'm the one that you're so long Yahweh desires to save you. And I've come in the flesh to do it. Would you bow your heads and pray with me?
merciful Father God. Thank you for creating us. And thank you for not leaving us into this pattern of sin. Thank you for sending one who can break it. Not by subjecting us. But by wooing us and calling us. His name is Jesus. And he is the one that our souls long for. So my brothers and sisters, have you come to him? Could anything about your religious life speak to relationship with the one we talked about today? Have you perhaps been washed with the water of the word but have never had a born-again experience where you know that Jesus lives in you? Have you been affected by the trappings and traditions of religion but never really said, Lord Jesus, I want this pattern of sin broken in my life and I want a new way a new mission, and a new Lord. Because if you have not yet done that, you should do it. Are you weary and are you heavy laden? Rest for your souls is found in him. Are you in the pattern that needs broken? Let him begin to break it today. If you're in this place and you say, you know what, Pastor Matt, I've never heard Jesus described in that way, or I have, but I've never been able to hear it today, or before today, in the way that I'm hearing it today, I, I would like a relationship with Jesus. I don't want my life to be the one that you described. I want to be saved from that deadly pattern and be given a new way to live. The people around me maybe have already accepted Jesus as their Savior, and I love and trust them, so I believe I can love and trust him. If that's you today, I'm not going to single you out or make you feel weird, but if you'd like to pray with me today that the Lord Jesus would come and reside in your heart and break you out of this wearisome pattern, would you just raise a hand to heaven and say, God, that's me today. With every head bowed in this place, every eye closed, oh God, I want to be broken out of this pattern that I've been in. I'm willing to accept the Lord Jesus into my life. I'll give you just a moment. Lift a hand to heaven. Say, God, that's me. If Jesus is your son, I'll make him my Lord. Father God, I pray over my brothers and sisters in this place. I pray that they will come as you have called. I pray that they would look to you in the same way as toddlers they look to mom or dad. 
come to you like a little child and say, yes, I need a Savior. For, Lord, you said that these things would be hidden from the wise but be given to little children. So, Lord, help us to be little children again, seeking out a Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Who, O Lord, could save themselves? Their own soul could heal. Our sin was greater or deeper than the sea. His love is greater still. Let's sing that before we leave this place. Stand together and sing. Who, O Lord, could save themselves? Their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. You alone, for you alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. Let's lift our eyes. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. Only Him. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. For You alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you.